This is an ABC podcast. You hear a lot of this. You'll hear it this year. It's a familiar claim uh, at this time of year that this country is is one of the world's, uh, if not the world's, most successful multicultural nation. Whatever that might mean. Uh, but if we if we prod a bit deeper, we may get some sort of revelation of meaning. It, is it is it a question of food and faith that the diversity of restaurants and and houses of worship within our cities and towns may be an indication of multicultural success? Uh, there is another contribution from Australia's migrants that that remains under recognised. And that is how successive waves of newcomers have shaped our suburban environment, our built places. Now, there's a new exhibition. uh, It's on at Melbourne's Italian Museum, which is exploring this lesser-known history. It's called Immigrant Networks. Uh, Our next guest has made a contribution to it. His name is David Bainan. He's an architecture scholar uh, at the University of Tasmania. And for the exhibition, he has explored a a phenomenon which he describes as trans-Asian suburbanisation. David, welcome. Thank you. (laughs) Um, It's great to be here, Jonathan. That expression, trans-urban suburbanisation, a a big and and complex idea, I would imagine. What, what, What are you describing there? It's not that complex, I don't think. But I guess if you were to look at suburbs uh, across Australia, particularly in the larger cities, but not only today, uh, and you were to sort of walk or drive down the streets and look at the, um, I guess, as you said in your introduction, the obvious things like shops and signage and what's on sale and what languages those things were in, it would look very different to uh, where you to look, you know, even... 30, 40, 50 or so many years ago. So, and a lot of that difference, I suppose, since the 1970s is due to, I guess, my part of this particular Immigrant Networks exhibition is the influx of, first big influx of migrants from Asia into Australia Mm. since the gold rush, really. And I mean, what does that do physically, that the manifestation of that in, in streetscapes, for example? Um, Well, what it physically does is actually really interesting because if you take a suburb, uh, the the suburbs in Melbourne, which have kind of looked at uh, like Springvale and Footscray, um, and there are their equivalents such as Cabramatta in Sydney or Dara in Brisbane, you'll see that the building stock may not necessarily have altered that much since, you know, the 1950s or even maybe the, you know, the 1890s. But the people who are occupying the shops, the kinds of businesses, the things that are being sold, that's uh, sometimes changed, you know, to a very, very great amount. So if you go into, say, the uh, into Hopkins Street, Barclay Street in Footscray, you'll see, uh, you know, a great number of shops which are and businesses, cafes, restaurants, uh, which are run by Vietnamese Australians. Um, and somewhere in the middle of that, uh, there is one bakery at, which is run by an Italian family, and that's been there since before um, hmm. the sort of all these Vietnamese and other people ha- have started to run businesses. So, and all this, so this is a sort of example of change, I suppose, in our streetscapes that uh, is visible, and, uh, and and it's had cult- it's had cultural changes too. 
I mean, there's an impulse, is there not, for mm. diasporic communities to, to gather together in, 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 in areas of our suburban space? I think there's a natural impulse to, particularly when you're, in a, you're a minority um, and you're a minority that's sort of uh, distinctively, you know, you look different, uh, you sound different. And if you've come because there's been some duress, I mean, a lot of the people that we have been talking to and who represent these communities, at least the first generation, were refugees. That is, you know, they were seeking refuge. They were sort of suddenly propelled from a comfortable home environment and had to make a comfortable home environment somewhere else. So here in Australia. So, uh, of course, they're going to take time to find their feet, uh, to learn English, for instance, um, to feel comfortable in a country that, you know, is to varying degrees sometimes welcoming and sometimes not welcoming to them. Is this, is this, I mean, I suggested that this was a, an issue of, of waves of migration and in some of the places, some of the locations that you mentioned, uh, where there has been substantial uh, Vietnamese and other Asian migrations, there was previously substantial Southern European migrations, a sort of an interchange of, uh, of heritage in these, in these spaces in our cities. Yeah, I think you get layers of heritage. Um, and I think what is perhaps not uh, recognised or maybe valued that much are sort of perhaps keeping track of some of these waves. Um, so, yes, uh, in the areas which I've been looking at, if you were to go and look at them sort of in the decades prior to them, then, yes, you would see a lot of uh, immigration or uh, migrants from southern Europe, from Italy, from Greece, from the former Yugoslavia, for instance. I mean, I'm in intrigued. You, you mentioned things like shops and, and mm. places of worship and so forth, but are the changes to the, the built sense of, of these spaces, depending on the, the migrant community? I mean, that's... Uh, with Southern European migration, again, that was often in, in style of garden planting, in um, the, the, you know, the tweaks to that sort of the, the routine suburban uh, structures <laughs> of, of this place to evoke uh, the countries of home. Is that something which has also happened in, in Asian migrations? Um, yes, you can also see this. So it's not necessarily, it wasn't really part of this particular exhibition, but what you can see uh, where Vietnamese Australians have built houses, there are certain kind of characteristics that uh, you might see, sort of a tiled concreted front, all the plants in pots, you know, uh, all the shoes in a shoe rack, so because you're taking your shoes off to go inside, um, those kinds of things, which kind of are like tells, I suppose, for uh, a particular... And, and then there might be things which are more overt, such as um, sort of symbols which are kind of culturally specific. And then, I suppose, in a broader built sense, you know, when you see a building like a Buddhist temple, for instance, uh, then that's a kind of obvious marker of, you know, here's something that's kind of culturally different to what would have been there before. So in some of the areas I've been looking at then, these were areas which were kind of light industrial, so sort of those kind of fairly kind of crappy sheds and, you know, small-scale warehouses, and some of those buildings are still there, and they have been, um, I suppose, then it's the kind of occupation of those buildings. But also because of various reasons, now you'll find community uses uh, within these kind of ex-industrial areas, which I find really interesting, and, and maybe a Taoist or Buddhist temple as well. So then you can start to really change the character of suburbs, and I'm thinking maybe of uh, someone like somewhere like Braybrook in North 
Western Melbourne, where you've got a big, increasingly large Buddhist temple, uh, which has now become a drawcard, uh, not just for mm. Vietnamese people, but also for lots of people for its events. And this is not just a phenomenon of our, our big cities. This is in, in regional centres as well, of course. Uh, well, indeed. Sometimes it's depending upon government incentives to actually to, to get people to go and who are migrating to come to go to regional centres. Sometimes it's economic. So, for instance, in the um, little Victorian town of Nil, uh, you've got this big duck farm and uh, you've got these migrants from Myanmar who've, who've come there. And where I am physically in Launceston in northern Tasmania, there's a population of people who are refugees from Bhutan. They're of Nepalese ethnicity. And so we've now got Nepalese groceries uh, in town and uh, you can buy more Nepalese products here than you can that I've noticed in Melbourne, for instance. I mean, we, we embrace this idea of multiculturalism, but I wonder... You know, some of the names you've mentioned, uh, refugees from Bhutan, for example, mm. I mean, the, the true diversity under that mm. top-line notion of multiculturalism might surprise uh, a lot of people in this country. It's very varied. Oh, it's extremely varied. So the one, one of the areas I was looking at, um, so the suburb of Springvale in the city of Greater Dandenong in southeastern Melbourne. Now, the Vietnamese Australian community are the largest there, but they're not the majority by any means. You've also got communities um, who originated in Cambodia, in Laos, uh, in East Timor, in Myanmar, in Sri Lanka, uh, then from Chile, El Salvador, um, other parts of the world, and then more recently, of course, from Afghanistan, South Sudan, Somalia. And they're all, there are different communities. And so you have this, I wouldn't necessarily describe it as a mosaic, but there are lots and lots of different communities and intersections between those. And sometimes people might share religion or they might share a kind of regional sense or just a sense of maybe being um, a minority along with other minorities. And so I think this really makes things really really interesting um, in the suburbs. Mm. And it also makes, I guess, the future of what is Australian really interesting as well. Yes, that's a shifting thing. I mean, let, let's, mm. let's talk that history, I guess, mm. the, the, the period you focus on from the, from mm. the 70s on. Mm. What, what's the timeline then of, of Asian settlement in this country? I mean, the key moment here, I suppose, is in the Vietnam War, the, 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 what you might call the fall of Saigon. Um, so, 1975 into 1976, the first uh, big influx of uh, refugees from Vietnam. Um, And then sort of concurrently with that, you have the Khmer Rouge regime in Cambodia. Um, And then there are other conflicts. So the Portuguese leave East Timor. um, And so there is that uh, ongoing struggle until East Timor is eventually independent, which is in the early 90s. Other refugees from other places, I suppose, it's then related to conflicts in those places that force people to seek refuge. And then when a community arrives, you've got people of all different ages. Some people are small children. And then you have second and third generations. And that also then is interesting because I guess you've got kind of two tendencies to try and keep cultural uh, values, uh, cultural traits, um, but also to think about what it is now we're in a new place. Mm-hmm. So what is, you know, get those hyphenated identities of the Vietnamese Australian, Chinese Australian, and, and then particularly when, you know, people start to maybe intermarry and those kinds of things, then things are more mixed up again. And a lot, a lot of the places that you've mentioned in, in city contexts uh, yeah. are pretty much in a 
suburban areas. Mm-hmm. So there's a sort of a parallel process with that that notion of of communities finding sense of self in those places, and that that's the sort of subsequent process of gentrification. Uh, uh, yeah, that's a really interesting kind of uh, overlap of, I guess social and economic phenomena, because I suppose it also then relates to broader ideas about what's desirable within a city. Mm. So when Southern Europeans came to Australia, you know, after the Second World War, we're getting into this idea that the inner suburbs were, you know, slums full of like crappy old houses and people didn't necessarily appreciate the heritage value. It was sort of out in the suburbs that people could easily drive their car without any traffic to find, you know, this grand house that sat on a piece of land and that's what, you know, you aspire to. And then we've had a kind of reverse to that more recently where now it's the inner suburbs of place of the bigger cities because of congestion and other things and a growth of interest in, you know, heritage of buildings that have become more sought after. And then, of course, you've got the connection between areas which at the time are relatively economic to, to, to you know, to rent or uh, a space to run a business versus other areas which were more desirable. David, thank you. I mean, great to, great to pop the lid on this, this broad <laughs> concept of the multicultural and, and mm. look a bit deeper into what that means. Thank you for, thank you for taking us on that journey. Oh, you're very welcome. I guess our exhibition, you know, Immigrant Networks, you know, if you go down to the Museo Italiano, if you're in uh, in Carlton in Melbourne, it's on until the 10th of February. Uh, you know, we can just see a little bit of that. David, thank you. We'll pop a, a link to that exhibition uh, on the Blueprint page at the Radio National website and in our podcast show notes as well, so you can find your way to Museo Italiano. Until February 10, as David says, David Bainan, thank you so much. Thank you, Jonathan, for having me on. David, he's an architectural scholar at the University of Tasmania and a contributor to that exhibition, Immigrant Networks. And this is Blueprint. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.